Why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 18 for tonight's study. Ezekiel chapter 18. I uh, heard the story once of a guy who, he was a pastor of a church. He had a little white church with a white steeple and little stained glass and everything. And he was thinking, man, I got the paint's looking a little worn and I need to get it painted. So he, you know, got a couple painters locally to bid on the job. And one guy came in substantially lower on his bid to paint the church, you know, with that white color. And uh, so he, he hired that guy, the cheapest guy. Um, so that guy came and started, he had set up his scaffolding and was painting the church. And, um, but this guy, the reason he was able to bid so low is he was known to be one who thins uh, the paint with paint thinner. He would thin it down a little bit uh, so that he'd stretch the paint out longer, you know. And, uh, and so he'd thin it and paint and it would, it would you know, it, lo- it looked pretty good. Uh, and he was stretching those gallons, you know, and that's how he'd save money. Well, while he was painting, um, uh, suddenly there came a crash of thunder and some lightning nearby. And the painter freaked out and kind of fell backwards on the ground and looked up to the sky. And, and as the water started to rain and pour down, all that thinned down paint that he'd put on the church was washing off the walls of the paint or, you know, on the, on the siding there. And uh, the guy's like, what am I supposed to do, Lord? And the Lord said in a booming voice, repaint, repaint, and thin no more. (laughs) Well, hopefully he got that message. And that's the message that hopefully Ezekiel is gonna get across to the people of Israel. But the problem is we know the end of the story, don't we? Uh, They would not repent and they would not put their sins away. Um, The Bible does teach us repent and sin no more. Uh, This is what we're called to do. Um, Repentance, interesting discussion about repentance. I think there's a lot of confusion around repentance. I've heard um, Bible teachers and pastors talk about this and it's to me a bit of a shame because we try to put God in our little box of things and we like to try to uh, clear clear it up so much that um, sometimes I think we're willing to even forsake some of the other things the Bible says. Like how many, how many times have you heard a preacher say this? Um, do you believe you're not gonna go to hell, that you're gonna go to heaven by just simply saying a little prayer and then you know you're gonna be saved? And some of you might say, well, yeah, I've heard preachers say that. Um, but Brett, you lead us in, a, in what is called the sinner's prayer after church. So are you at odds with that person? Well, um, he might think so, but I'm not at odds with him because if you're around Athey Creek, I always talk about repentance in connection with that confession. Um, see, you'll, you'll hear people like those guys say, uh, read your Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you're supposed to pray the sinner's prayer. And I always say, good eye. It never says that. And it also doesn't talk about the Trinity. It doesn't use the word missionary or Trinity. Although we know there's certain things that are still true, right? So uh, where does the Bible talk about the sinner's prayer? I believe it makes it really clear. Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10. If you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. Um, so there's, it doesn't say, thou shalt pray the sinner's prayer, but it says, confess with your mouth. Uh, to who? Um, to the Lord. Uh, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Uh, the Lord is the one who sees the heart. So this is to the Lord, from your mouth, from your heart. Now you say, but what about repentance? Repentance has to be a part. Well, absolutely, I totally agree. And I've taught that for years. But see, for the sinner to say, I acknowledge my sins before God. I'm acknowledging that I've walked contrary to God. Um, that, That really requires us to start thinking about the word repentance. When we say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. That means you're doing an about face and changing your mind about it. Now, here's where it gets a little fuzzy. Yeah, but you gotta repent and, and do more and be better. Well, that's, that's gonna be the fruit of salvation for faith without works is dead. But if that means that you better stop sinning from that day forward, then we're all toast. We're all going to hell because even every Christian I've ever known who confessed Christ um, with a sinner's prayer, guess what? They sinned again after that, unless they died right that very second as they were confessing Christ. 
Um, even Paul the apostle, the giant of faith of the New Testament said, oh, I don't do the things I do wanna do and I do the things I, oh, wretched man that I am. But he was able to thank the Lord Jesus Christ who saved him from his sins, past, present, future. So when people talk about repentance, preachers, and they say, you better repent, you can't just say a sinner's prayer. Well, that's true. You can't just say a, a sinner's prayer if you think it's some magical incantation that's just gonna you know, make you suddenly saved because um, it's not a magical incantation. It's, it's a confession from your heart. It's got weightiness to it. And I do believe in the sinner's prayer. It's a prayer that is a prayer of confession that leads to salvation. Read Romans 9, uh, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. It's so clear. When it, and that's the, one of the main mentions of salvation in the Bible. Um, and, and so, yes, a, a, a true repentant heart that says, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, confessing with their mouth, believing in their heart, they're gonna be saved. But if repentance means you better have everything conquered in your life and you better not just sin again, well, it doesn't mean that because even Paul wouldn't have made that cut. The only one who would make that cut is Jesus Christ himself. Now, uh, there is some other fuzzy area. What about a person who says, I believe in Jesus and at sixth grade, I accepted Christ and confessed with my mouth uh, and I was saved. But then as a 20 year old, he goes off into total sin and debauchery and takes up sin. Uh, and, and, and some people say, well, did that kid, is he assured salvation? And when you get into assurance and once saved, always saved, or can you lose your salvation? Can you leave your salvation? Well, those are very heady and argumentative issues. People get all upset about those things. Um, but the truth is, uh, I always try to go back to what is actually real and, and true, and that is don't rebel like that. Whatever you do, walk with the Lord, turn from your sins, be holy as I, the Lord, am holy. That's what our goal is. Um, it's not what saves you. Uh, the holiness of Christ is what saves you. The work of the cross is what saves you. But man, uh, when you're saved, you will see fruit in your life. Faith without works is dead. Now, I, the reason I go into all that is because, you know, I teach a lot about the grace of God and his mercy. I preach almost every Sunday, every Saturday night, I, I preach about, um, you know, the, the, the gospel and I lead people in sinner's prayer all, all the time. Um, and, uh, and, and yet, what about repentance? Well, repentance is a key part of all that. And uh, it's interesting because repentance, you'll find pastors that will talk all about repentance and not about God's grace and mercy. Or you'll hear, you'll hear uh, pastors talk about God's grace and mercy and never talk about repentance. It, there's a balance there. And, um, and I believe we have to kind of realize repentance is who God is. He's, he, he wants us to repent of our sins. You know, it's interesting because Noah didn't look out from the steps of the ark as he was building it and yell out to the crowd. He didn't yell out, something good is gonna happen to you. That wasn't his message. His message was repent. Um, if it wasn't for saying, I'm okay, you're okay, that Joel the prophet was confronted by the high priest and was, was made a spectacle of there um, because he said, you know, um, you know, did he say, did he say uh, you know, be good and follow the Lord and be cool and all that? No, Joel got in trouble for saying, repent, rend your heart, get right and repent. That's what Joel the prophet said. Daniel was in the lion's den, not because he said, you know, inch by inch, anything's a cinch. Uh, that's not how Daniel got into trouble. Daniel uh, got in trouble when he said, you've been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting or lacking. Jeremiah the prophet, we just studied that whole book and that with Lamentations. He was not put in the pit of slime, the dungeon there, if you remember. Jeremiah wasn't put there for preaching, the me I see is the me I'll be. That's not what got him into trouble. What got Jeremiah into trouble was him calling the nation of the Jews to repent. John the Baptist didn't get uh, in trouble and actually become uh, beheaded uh, when, because he preached, smile, God loves you. That's not what he said. What John the Baptist preached was turn from your wickedness and repent. Uh, Matthew chapter three, verse two talks about that. When Jesus himself came and, and uh, preached, you know, the, the first message he would bring would not be God loves you and so do I. That wasn't his first message. His message was repent. 
the kingdom of God is among you. In the book of Revelation, we read the two witnesses that will be killed and their bodies left lying in the streets of Jerusalem in the, in the tribulation period. They're not gonna be killed there for their message, seven habits of a highly effective people. That's not what gets those two messengers, those two prophets in trouble. Their message is to the world, repent, and they're gonna hate them for that and kill those two guys in the, uh, the tribulation period. So repentance is kind of a big deal. Ezekiel jumps on the repentance uh, message here in our text. Let's take a look. It's, it's Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30 is where we're gonna look right now at this passage. Ezekiel 18, verse 30. It says there, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live you. Man, I love this. The Lord tells us his heart for humanity. God finds no pleasure in wrath and judgment and death of people that are wicked and evil. God finds no pleasure in that. Um, but he calls them to have a new heart and a new spirit. Repent, he says, through Ezekiel the prophet. This, this little, you know, three verse trilogy is so powerful. First, repent and turn yourself from all transgression. Man, that's what repentance means. Um, I like the way this puts it because it kind of self-defines itself. The people wonder, what does repentance mean? He says, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions. If you take this word both in the New Testament Greek and the Old Testament Hebrew, the word means simply that, to do an about face. In fact, the Greek word is actually used in the military context. We would say about face. Now do an about face and turn around and go 180 degrees the opposite direction. That's what repentance means. So before you were a Christian following Jesus, you were following after the world and, and sin and gross stuff that is contrary to God. But a repentant person says, okay, I'm gonna do an about face. And I'm gonna turn toward the Lord and I'm gonna try to follow Christ the best I possibly can. That's what repentance is, to turn, to repent. Um, and then uh, verse 30 says, repent and turn. And then uh, verse 31, cast away from you all your transgressions. That, that's what it means to, to say, I'm gonna repent and start pushing my transgressions, cast them away, push them down. Um, the repentant Christian will wrestle against his sin, not take up sin willingly and uh, habitually just say, ah, I'm a Christian saved by grace, so I'm just gonna keep sinning. That's not what a, a, a Christian does. A Christian is a repentant person who says, I don't wanna take up sin. There is a difference, by the way, to someone who takes up sin purposefully, willfully, habitually, and even gets better at sin, it practices at sin, versus the person who stumbles into sin or mistake, makes a mistake uh, and, and repents quickly. There is a difference. You know, in Galatians, it says, you know, uh, you and I are supposed to deal tenderly with those that are overtaken in a sin or a fault. You which are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. In other words, let's say you see somebody who's doing some sinful thing and we are to come alongside and, and observe, is that someone who's overtaking a fault or have they overtaken a fault? There's a difference. Um, like for example, uh, there might be some Christian guy who goes to church here at Athey, and let's just say he, uh, you know, is a sinful guy and he likes to sleep around with the girls. And so he says, you know what? I'm saved by God's grace. I'm gonna meet a bunch of girls at Athey Creek. I'm just gonna try to see how many, uh, you know, I can sleep with. Well, that guy, we don't deal tenderly with that guy. The Bible talks about that guy as a, a person who's unrepentant and he's walking in sin and we are to deliver him unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh, 1 Corinthians 5. Like that's heavy, that's a heavy word. But that guy doesn't get the tenderly, hey bro, you know, we're gonna come alongside and try to help you not sleep around all the time. Uh, that, that, that's a, a sin that somebody's taking up over and over again. 
the, the difference might be this, a young guy who um, is trying to keep himself for the Lord and he's saying, I wanna walk in the ways of the Lord. And he goes out on a date and um, gets into a situation where he shouldn't be and he makes a mistake and he feels horrible about it and has repented. And I can come alongside of that guy and deal tenderly with him because he's not going around saying, I'm gonna do this as much as I can. No, he's heartbroken. He's got a heart thing that's, that's been something that's, that's been hard for him and a wrestling with him. Um, and it, it sickens him that he sinned and made that mistake. Man, those are the people we're supposed to deal tenderly, Galatians chapter six, uh, and, and be careful with those guys. And then it also says, considering yourself, lest you also fall in that same sin or tempted in that same sin. We shouldn't be high and mighty and going around saying, oh, I'll help you because I, I would never do such a horrible sin. But it says, consider yourself lest you also are tempted. So we deal with Christians according to the Bible and there's the unrepentant uh, person who I might even call the, brag, the bragging backslider, the guy that's just taking up sin willfully, purposefully, and it's only uh, needs to be corrected. And there's no repentance there. And I can't even, you know, for sure say that guy's saved. Remember, uh, Galatians and Ephesians both talks about those who continually practice sin will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So I don't wanna give a false sense of security to the bragging backslider that he's going to heaven. But the person who's struggling has repented, they've had a change of mind and a change of heart, still struggles with sin, because we all do, but is trying to do that about face. Uh, that's what real repentance looks like. Um, you, uh, your ability to repent is not what your, how, uh, your salvation is hinging on. You have to understand this, your, your salvation doesn't swing on, well, I hope we are good enough, because that becomes a workspace. Your salvation comes from Jesus alone. But if you're saved by Jesus through faith uh, and his grace through faith, then you'll start to see that repentant heart um, starting to show fruit and good works in your life. You know, it's interesting because um, the word repentance, and I've already kind of talked about this, it just means to do an about face. Um, and like I said, all the preachers of the Bible said, repent, repent, repent over and over again. And so it is uh, something we should know about. But the funny thing that I've noticed about repentance is, do we know what repentance really looks like? That's the question. Um, and and uh, some people, I think they believe repentance looks like weeping or feeling bad that they got caught in their sin. Um, and there's a couple people I'd like to compare and just kind of look at it just for a second because I find it interesting. And, and just for a kind of a quick reference, Saul versus David in this issue of repentance. If you remember in 1 Samuel, King Saul there was, um, you know, jealous of David. The ladies would sing in the streets. David, you know, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And so, you know, this started to make Saul jealous. And David would come in. Saul would say, bring David and have him play his instrument, you know, and sing songs. And David would come into the throne room of Saul and play his instrument and Saul would be at peace. And then he'd start thinking, wait a minute. Girls like David more than they like me, loser. And he started to hate David. Remember the story? David's just playing, trying to comfort Saul and Saul grabs his spear, sticks it right in the wall where David's playing. You know, David ducks and gets out of there and runs with his lyre. That's probably the instrument he was playing, that kind of a harp-like guitar thing. And he runs out. Uh, that's a tough gig, by the way, when you're getting thrown spears at, at the gig you're playing at musically. Um, I remember being a part of a concert uh, that we were doing a thing at a Selmac Lake 4th of July. It was a drunken festival of a bunch of people and bikers and stuff. And we decided to bring our Christian band from our church down and do some music and try to evangelize. And so we got the stage set up. We started, the bands, we, you know, started playing and stuff. And um, I'll never forget it. They started shooting bottle rockets at us uh, as, as I was one of the sound guys. And, uh, and it was, it was, we had to duck and run and you'd be walking around all of a sudden a bottle rocket would stick in your leg and burn. It didn't feel so great, you know, but uh, uh, I, I do understand David, you know, his playing music and then ducking. Uh, this happened several times. So David finally runs for his life. And you know the story. Saul's chasing him for years with his army. David's hiding for years. But there at En Gedi, the caves, um, something happens. Saul comes in and he finds the caves. He says, I've got to go in here and, you know, uh, rest a little bit. And so Saul goes in and falls asleep and David was inside that very cave hiding. So David comes and sneaks out. Saul, there he is. 
sleeping. And David, he's got his knife out and he comes up to Saul. And the guys say, David, this is awesome. The Lord has delivered Saul into your hands this day. You can kill him now and you will become the king just like Samuel the prophet said would happen. And so David lifted up his knife and cut off the head of King Saul. Wait a minute, that's not how that went. Um, that's how I would have done it. Uh, you should be glad, yeah, and I'm your pastor. Um, he, he didn't kill Saul. He, he snipped with his knife the, the edge of his robe and cut the robe of the anointed Saul. Now Saul was annoying as well, but he was also anointed. He was a, he was a loser king and God was gonna deal with Saul, but David knew it wasn't for him to kill Saul, but David also knew he shouldn't even have snipped the robe. Uh, the snipping of the robe, um, you know, there in First um, Samuel chapter 24, it's, it's kind of taking, it'd be, it'd be like, um, you know, somebody messing with your name or your title or calling you a name in front of it because the, the hem of the garment was your authority and David cut that off. And so David goes across the canyon and says, Saul, you know, and Saul comes out after waking up and, and David's, you know, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And Saul, he sees that David could have killed him. And so he does what seems to be sort of a repentance. Let me, um, let me just read to you from 1 Samuel. You don't have to turn there, but just real quick. 1 Samuel um, chapter 24, it says this. And it came to pass when David made an end of speaking these words to Saul, across the canyon, um, that Saul said, is this thy voice, my son, David? Sort of a Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker moment. You're my son, father, father, you know, or whatever. It's like Saul, Saul, this evil guy, is suddenly saying, oh, my son, David, who he was trying to kill. My son, David. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Oh, David, my son. <gasps> He's weeping. Oh, that must be real repentance. But let me read on here. It says, and when he said to David, thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded you for evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt with me. For as much as when the Lord hath delivered me into thine hand, thou killed me not. For if a man find his enemy and let him go well away, wherefore the Lord reward thee for good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now, behold, I know well that thou surely be the king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear now, therefore, unto me by the Lord that thou wilt cut, not cut off my seed, my descendants, Saul saying, after me, that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swear unto Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men got back up into the stronghold. <laughs> What's going on there? Saul says, I'm sorry, my son, and please, you're gonna be the king, I know it's true. And, um, and just don't mess with my kids promise me that you'll take care. And David said, I promise. And Saul's like, oh good, okay, we're good now, bro. And he goes away and, and Saul then goes home. But David, who hasn't been home for years, would love to see his family and friends. He goes back up into the fortress. Why? I believe the answer is clear. David knew Saul was a snake and he wasn't really repentant. Oh, it looked like repentance. Oh, my son, I'm so sorry. You're more righteous than I. It sounds like repentance. He even acknowledged that he was doing evil things to chase David down like a dog. He acknowledged it, but it was not true repentance. It was a fake repentance. And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, if you compared Saul versus David, David was also a sinner, just like Saul. Now David's the king, fast forward many years. And you know the story. David commits adultery with Bathsheba and, and sleeps with her and she gets pregnant and so David tries to cover up his stupid sin uh, by murdering Bathsheba's husband. Uh, it's a horrible story. And, and in some ways you have to marvel that, did you know that like, um, you know, which, which guy was the bigger sinner? I mean, Saul uh, was jealous and he never killed anybody like David, though he, he was hunting him, but he never actually went through with it. And did he commit adultery? Did he commit murder? We don't have that on Saul's record. Saul was jealous and angry and a little bit insane. David, however, committed adultery and murdered somebody. And so when it came time to call him out, you know the story, Nathan the prophet comes and tells that little story. David, I got a story to tell you, Nathan the prophet says. And he says, once upon a time, there was a family in the kingdom who had a pet little lamb. He was cute and fluffy. And uh, the family loved him like, a, like one of their own children. 
Well, next door neighbor was a wealthy man. He had thousands of sheep and flocks. And well, the wealthy man had a guest over, but instead of taking a, a, a sheep from the flock of the wealthy man's flock, he goes to the next door neighbors who live in the tiny little house with their tiny little lamb. And he takes their one little lamb and slits its throat and serves that for dinner, lamb chops for his guest. Well, David at this point is furious when he's hearing Nathan the prophet. He says, that man should surely die. And Nathan the prophet says, you demand. Not like in that sense, Mike, you're, you're the man. You are the guy who's, who's guilty. And at that moment, David knew that he'd been busted. And it's something that you always have to understand. Be sure of this, your sin will find you out. And David had to learn that lesson the hard way. But when it comes to repentance, Saul was weeping. Oh, oh, forgive me, my son. I have sinned against thee this day and all this stuff. What did David sound like? Well, here it is. I'll read it to you. Second Samuel chapter 12. I'll just give you verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, and the Lord hath also put away your sin that thou shalt not die. No weeping, no gyration, no sobbing. Oh, I sinned against the Lord. None of that. David said, I have sinned against the Lord this day. And Nathan the prophet said, okay. How do we know that was legit for, uh, you know, repentance? There's only one reason we know because it says, and the Lord hath forgiven your sin. It was, it was real repentance right there. It didn't look like it. Saul looked like repentance because he was sobbing and weeping. And, but he came back to start chasing David again. Uh, David would go right back, pardon me, Saul would go right back into his old sins, chasing David. And David was right to go back up into the stronghold and hide. But now fast forward, David, David just says, okay, I've sinned against the Lord. It wasn't an emotion. It was just an, a, a, a mental uh, acknowledgement. And I believe a heartfelt knowing that he was a sinner. And he acknowledged it before God. To acknowledge your sins before God, I think that's really what real repentance looks like. Not just Saul versus David. How about this one? This is a fun compare and contrast. What about Judas and Peter? Judas and Peter. Well, Brett, how can you compare Judas and Peter? Well, it's actually surprising how much you can compare Judas and Peter. There's actually several points that were kind of interesting. Um, By the way, Peter, at the same exact time Judas was betraying Jesus, uh, Peter was denying Jesus. Okay, so one, one's betraying, one's been denying. Um, in fact, this remarkable parallel, um, you know, between Judas and Peter, let's, let's look at some of these points. First of all, um, both were, this is a funny one, both were called devils by Jesus. Isn't that a funny thing? How would you like to be called a devil? By Jesus, that's a bad day as a disciple. Uh, you're trying to follow Jesus. He says, yeah, pretty, you're pretty much Satan. <laughs> that's a bad day. When, when did that happen? Well, of Judas, remember, um, uh, Jesus said in John chapter six, verse 70, he said, you know, uh, have, have not I chosen you 12, but one of you is a devil. And we know contextually that was speaking of Judas. But do you remember when did Jesus call Peter sort of like the devil? Um, it's Matthew 16, remember when Peter just said that glorious, you're the Christ, you're the Mashiach, you're the Messiah. Um, and, and the Lord said, oh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not real, but my father which is heaven. Like he gets this great commendation. And then Jesus says, now I'm gonna go die in Jerusalem. And Peter said, not so. I will stand with you. I will defend you. Da, 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 da. And then Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's what he said to Peter. Now, was he calling Peter Satan? I don't believe so. Um, but I think that Peter was dangling a satanic temptation in front of Jesus to not go to the cross. And so he speaks to Peter, get thee behind me. So both were called devils by Jesus. Number two on this uh, compare and contrast, Jesus warned both of them that they would fail. Uh, In Matthew 26, 23, um, we remember that, uh, you know, uh, Jesus warned Judas. Remember he said, the one that dips the bread with me into the sopping bowl there on the, the last supper table, he, um, he uh, will um, you know, deny me. And that was speaking of Judas who would actually betray, who would betray him in Matthew 26, 23. But that same night, Peter was warned that he was gonna fail. Before the cock crows, Peter, you'll deny me thrice, Matthew 26, 
verse uh, 34. Uh, you know, both the same chapter, Judas and Peter were warned, you're gonna fail and you're gonna fail. <laughs> so that's the, the, the second one. The third, you know, compare point is both were given opportunity to turn from their sin. Um, do you remember there when Judas was approaching Jesus um, in the Garden of Gethsemane? And, uh, and he identified with a, with a kiss, a betrayal kiss. But there in uh, Matthew 26, 50, um, Jesus said, friend, what seekest thou? See, I think even by calling him friend and saying, Judas, friend, what are you, what are you doing? This was the moment Judas should have said, I can't do this. This is my friend that I'm betraying for 30 pieces of silver, whatever. Like he had a moment where he could have repented and changed. He was given an opportunity at that moment to just walk away, but he didn't. In the same way, Jesus had that same opportunity given to Peter. You know, Peter, remember when he was cursing like a sailor in the courtyard there and Jesus looked at him. It says it in Luke's gospel, Luke twenty-two sixty-one. 61. Um, I don't believe Jesus looked at Peter with a look of condemnation or disgust. That's, that's what I probably would have done. But I believe that he was giving a look that said something like, Peter, I know what you're doing, but remember, you know, what I told you. I'm not through with you. I've got a plan and a purpose for you, Peter. Like this loving, you know, and suddenly he has this opportunity to turn away from warming his hands at the enemy's fire and denying Jesus. But he goes on to, de to deny him and fail three times. By the way, sideline note on this one um, with this idea of um, Peter and Judas and the compare and contrast, giving the opportunity to turn from sin. Did you know the Lord gives everyone an opportunity to escape the temptation that's before them? I love that passage. I'll just sideline note this one. First uh, Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. The Lord says, when you're tempted to sin, I'm not gonna allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. Now, I've heard people say, don't quote that to me. That I'm not gonna be tempted above that which I'm able. I don't agree with that. Well, you need to agree with the Bible. The Lord says he's not gonna allow you to be tempted above that you are able. But the thing that I find might be a little more correct way to think about it, there might be times when you're tempted beyond what you're able, but the Lord will give you at some moment in that sin, a way of escape that you can take. Um, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I could never figure it out. You know, we'd go to the Oregon caves and uh, I loved that kind of stuff, adventure, exploring caves, spelunking. But I remember one time I went into a class and, um, and uh, um, some kids were starting to, we went on a field trip there and we, they started to feel kind of claustrophobic. We were going into the Oregon caves. And then like the first five minutes, you get to this little entry, this uh, secondary entry and the uh, park ranger would say, now, if anybody's feeling a little claustrophobic, at this point, you can leave. And I remember when I saw three or four of my fellow students say, oh, I wanna leave. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is ridiculous. And they all went out the way of escape and they didn't see the rest of the caves. But they were worried that something was gonna happen in there and they were gonna get claustrophobic or whatever. And so they found their way of escape. I, I, every time I read this verse, I think of that. The Lord, you're going into the area of temptation, the darkness of the cave. And you may not know what's in the cave and it might be trouble for you, but there's a way to get out before you get into trouble. And the Lord always presents that. The question is, are you gonna take it? Are you gonna take the way of escape? Well, as it turns out, Judas and Peter declined. And they went through with their, you know, uh, doings. So you got this repentance. Uh, both Peter and uh, Judas were called devils by Jesus. Jesus warned both of them that they'd fail. Jesus would um, give them opportunity to turn, repent from their direction. Um, but as it turns out, ultimately, both Judas and Peter repented. Now you say, Brett, are you sure that Judas repented? Because I remember the story after he realized what he'd done. He threw the money at the feet of the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas and in the, in the temple there, the treasury. And, and then he went out and hanged himself and his guts fell out of his body. Like that's the story I remember. What about repented? Well, the Bible says it, that Judas repented of that evil that he had done 
um, which is kind of interesting. It says that in, in Matthew 27, verse three, it says Judas repented himself in himself. But I wanna tell you there's a difference. Peter's gonna repent, Judas is gonna repent, but one is a weak repentance, a weak repentance, or you might even call it a false or fake repentance. Um, what, what is a weak or false uh, you know, repentance? Let me, uh, there's some old sayings. Uh, one person said, it is much easier to repent of sins that we have committed in the past than to repent of those sins we intend to commit. Isn't that true? Oh, you're so sorry once you did it. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I sinned. But then you're like, but I got sins I still wanna do and I'm not gonna repent of those. That's, that's not real repentance when you're still planning to sin in the future. That's not repentance. You're not doing an about face. That's, a, that's what I'd call a fake or weak uh, one. Um, have you ever heard the term, you know, mending your ways? One preacher said, many people use mighty thin thread when they're mending their ways. <laughs> I think that's true. Uh, let's, let's sew this thing up with really thin thread so we can rip it right open again and get back into our sins. But that starts to beg the question, what's the difference between true repentance versus fake repentance? Um, I wanna go over a few of those things because I think it's important. Repentance is a massively important topic. If these prophets and pastors and teachers are saying, repent, turn from your wicked ways, break off your sins, like Ezekiel in our text, he's, he's declaring to repent from your sins. Um, what does it mean? Well, jot these things down if you would. First of all, no, it's not just merely confession. Did you see what it said in our text uh, here in Ezekiel? It, it, it's not merely confession, but notice what Ezekiel says. He says, cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed and make you a new heart. Your, your soul has to go in a different direction. You're, you have to cast away your sins. It's not just saying, Lord, I've sinned against you. Because um, everybody knows that. The Lord already knows that. You know that. No new information here when you say, I'm a sinner. But as it turns out, there's more to repentance than just, just confession. That's important to know. But also note with me, um, true repentance is not um, selfish or self-motivated. In other words, you don't wanna just say, um, uh, you know, God, I want this from you, so I'm gonna repent of my sins today so you give me what I want today. Some people try to repent and get something from God, or I've even seen people try to repent of their sins and try to get something from someone else. Um, the guy that's been a jerk as a dating fellow uh, and his girlfriend gets sick of his behavior. And so he, um, he, he, she breaks off from him and he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'll be better and I'll, I'll repent and I'll be really good and holy. And she, she's, he, his repentance is to get her to like him again or to accept him. Uh, you, you know, it's like, Lord, I'm sorry. If you get me that job, I'll repent of my sins. Um, you know, Lord, if, if she can get unpregnant, I'll, I'll repent of my sins. Like, that's not the way it works, hello? It's funny how we try to make a deal with God. True repentance doesn't have self-centered motivation. So number one, uh, true repentance is not just confession. True repentance is not selfish. But I don't know how to say this one as much as this. We'll, we'll put it this way. Um, it is not religious repentance. What is religious repentance? Um, uh, the word religion in its negative term is uh, this piety of people uh, sort of um, confessing, I'm glad I'm not like that person. It reminds me of Luke chapter 18. Let me just read this to you. Luke 18, verses nine through 14. It says, remember this story Jesus said? And Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Uh, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And uh, the publican standing afar off would not even so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but smote his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. 
There's some people that do this repentance thing. True repentance does not look like religious piety. Uh, I'm holier than everybody else. Um, that must be said. I think that's important, true repentance. But also, fourthly, on this consideration of what real repentance looks like, true repentance versus fake, true repentance is not worldly sorrow, despair, or sadness. Now, this is an interesting one. What causes a person to sorrow from their sins or to despair or be sad? Well, there's a bunch of things. One, if you get caught. When you get caught in your sins, it's amazing how sorry you are all of a sudden. Um, that's always a problem. Uh, I remember my mom saying, brother, are you sorry just because you got caught? And I wanted to always say, yes, because <laughs> that was the truth. Uh, but I wasn't so sorry I did the deed. I was just sorry I got caught. That's not repentance. Uh, worldly sorrow, not only getting caught, but also the repercussions of our sin. People get sorrowful because they see, man, my sinful actions have wrecked my life. And so they're s despairing or sad, but there's not real repentance there. Um, that's always a horrible, horrible way to go. By the way, there's a scripture um, that Paul kind of talked about this in, uh, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, you can jot it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. And it says this, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle have made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you were sorry to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow, this is the kind of the key, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. I think that's my point. The worldly sorrow worketh death. There's a sorrow that's still gonna lead you to hell. Um, but godly sorrow that leads to repentance leads to eternal life. By the way, in this passage of 2 Corinthians 7, um, it's a clumsy translation, no matter which one you have it, because in the Greek text, the word for repent, there's two different words that are bouncing back and forth that are constantly being transcribed as, or translated as repentance. Um, but one is a true repentance, one is a false repentance. And that's when he's saying, I didn't repent, but I did repent. Two different words in the original text. But it's basically saying there's a fake repentance and a true repentance. And you and I need to get to that place where we are truly repentant before the Lord. And that true repentance comes from your heart. Uh, and and it's, it's gonna also be expressed through your actions. It's not the King Saul actions of just sobbing and faking that he was really sorrowful. It's, it's more of a David or Peter. See, the, the difference between Judas, by the way, and Peter, Judas went and continued to do evil things, even to the point of committing suicide and killing himself. Peter went on to repent of his sins and follow Jesus and become better rather than bitter. True repentance, you'll find yourself moving in the right direction toward the Lord and serving the Lord and walking with the Lord. That's what Peter did. Uh, Judas didn't do that. Saul never turned to the Lord. He always did his own thing, went his own way, and he ends up getting killed on the mountains of Gilboa. By the way, it's kind of interesting. Saul also attempted suicide, just like Judas. Unrepentance led to the, both of those guys committing suicide. Now, Saul, as we put the, the narrative together, uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, we, we realize that he attempted suicide, failed, and he was laying maimed on the battlefield of the mountains of Gilboa, and this Amalekite comes along and sees Saul, the king, like bleeding out. And Saul just says, kill me. I'm dying here and don't let them catch me alive. And so the Amalekite slays Saul right there and they take Saul's body and hang it on the, on the walls of Bet-Shean, uh, the city nearby. Um, horrible end to both Judas and both Saul. But when you look at David and Peter, the two real repentant guys, they went for the Lord. They walked with the Lord. They did what the Lord wanted them to do. And they broke off their sinful behavior and changed. They were transformed. The Bible has so much to say about repentance. Um, we can give you some other scriptures. Acts chapter three, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Do you want your sins blotted out? Repentance is required there. That's why the Bible says, repent 
Acts 3, 19. Also another one, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I wanted to share this verse with you because it goes back to our Ezekiel passage. Now, Ezekiel is kind of an end times kind of guy. You know, Jerusalem was gonna be crushed. The Jews were gonna be killed. Like there's sort of parallels between the end of the world and the tribulation period with um, what Peter's talking about, about the Lord, you know, he's, he's not slack concerning his promise of judging the world, but he's waiting and being patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what the Lord wants. The Lord doesn't get any joy out of crushing people who are unrepentant. We saw that in our text, back to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32. He says, for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves, that means repent, and live. That's our text. In fact, if you'd go back with me to Ezekiel 18, I wanna read to you another little section we'll look at on Wednesday night. Um, it's the same kind of thing. Look at verse 21 through 23. Ezekiel 18, 21 through 23, it says, but if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and that's repentance, and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live and not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, uh, shall he live, he shall live. Have I pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live or repent of his ways and live? Over and over the Bible says, oh, the Lord, I just don't want you to die. I don't want you to be judged. I want you to repent of your sins and turn from your wicked ways. Now, some of you might say, Brett, this makes me nervous. Ezekiel's saying your righteousness is what saves you. But you gotta remember, they were under that dispensation during that time of being Jews under the law. And the law never saved anyone by righteousness. That's why Jesus came later. See, this is the good news. Um, while Ezekiel and those people were in big trouble because uh, no one's gonna be saved in that situation uh, in Jerusalem and Judah. Remember, they were all gonna be crushed with a tiny remnant of people saved. But, but, Ezekiel's saying, man, repent, turn to the, to the Lord, repent, do that 180 about face because the Lord doesn't want you to be crushed. Isn't it interesting that the world in a total sinful attitude says, if God is love, he won't send anyone to hell. And it always saddens me because if you read your Bible, God is love and it's true. He would that none should perish, that no one would end up in hell. And, and yet hell is real and many people are gonna go there. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, Jesus taught. But narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. And so the gospel message is you and I, when we read Ezekiel, we think, man, we need righteousness. So we gotta repent and hopefully we're good enough. Well, that's where the New Testament teaches us that nobody's good enough. We're all sinful. No one is righteous. Not even one person, Paul says. Therefore, Christ came and died for the sins of the world. His righteousness is what ultimately save you from your unrighteousness. And when Christ dies for you and you repent of your sins and you accept Christ with that sinner's prayer, and it's not just a magical prayer, it's a prayer of true belief. It's confession of your repentance, saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me for my sins? I accept the work of the cross. And that's how you're saved. Be careful when you hear the pastor say, the sinner's prayer. What, you think somebody's just gonna be saved by saying the sinner's prayer? Well, the answer is yes and no. No, if a person's not sincere. No, if a person isn't acknowledging their sin and repenting. But that sinner's prayer does, I believe, save, not because that person did anything, but Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, wretched man that I am, what'll save me from this man of death, this body of death? But I thank the Lord Jesus Christ that's Paul saying it's Christ in which we're saved. So don't be confused with this issue of repentance. To repent means to go and change your direction, change your heart, change your mind and move toward God. And to be saved is to repent and then say, Lord, I accept the work of the cross that your righteousness saves me, not my own. And when I'm saved by God's grace through faith, man, that's, that's the way to heaven. And God, the Bible says, Speaking of repentance, that when one person repents, 
that all the angels of heaven rejoice and there's a big party in heaven. Do you ever wonder if when a person gets saved, if suddenly heaven, like a big party in heaven, the angels are just totally excited because someone got to a place where they repented of their sins. That's what the Bible says. Um, So there's a couple things. If you're a person who's already repented of your sins and you know that you're saved by God's grace, you're in good, good standing. And keep walking toward the Lord. Don't unrepent by walking away from the Lord. Um, well, but can you lose your salvation? Can you once saved, always saved? What's the deal? Forget the question for now. Just be holy. Follow the Lord. Do the right thing. Don't play games. How far can you go and still be saved? Like that's a, that's a game nobody should be playing. But if you accept Jesus and believe, walk toward him, serve him, follow him. And that's the place you wanna be anyway. If you're not a Christian, you gotta be saved. And God is love. He wants to see you saved. But at the same time, don't make a mistake, God is righteous. And if a person really wants to go to hell because they don't want God, they don't wanna repent, they don't wanna believe in the cross and follow Jesus, then even though the Lord doesn't want you to go to hell, even though Christ died for your sins and pretty much for you to go to hell, you have to step over the dead body of Jesus Christ who then rose from the grave. Like that's pretty bold If a person wants to boldly go to hell, they can and God won't stop you. It's not God sending to people to hell. You've sent yourself there. That's what it means to become a Christian and say, I repent of my sins. I believe in the cross of Christ and I wanna be saved. And that prayer is the prayer that leads to that that saving word from the Lord. And it's with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So these pastors are can you just say a prayer and be saved? The answer is yes. Don't be duped. I think a lot of well-intentioned guys that are worried that people are gonna go to hell, so you better repent and clean up your act. I understand why they say that, but they need to continue. They say, read your Bible. I say, continue to read your Bible because there's more to repentance and salvation than just sometimes what people have to say. Before we close this service, I'd like to invite you to accept Jesus. If you're out there watching online and you've heard what I have to say about repentance and salvation, If you're still in your sins and yet to be saved, today would be a great day to say, I believe in Jesus. I repent of my sins. I know that doesn't mean I'm gonna be perfect, but I do know it makes me perfectly forgiven. That my sins, as I repent and realize those lifestyles and those choices I've made, they were wrong and they were contrary to God. And you acknowledge that before God and you turn and you do an about face and you say, I'm gonna walk with the Lord and I'm gonna be saved by his grace through faith. When that happens, and the Lord saves you. He blots out your sins and he remembers them no more and you get to go to heaven by God's grace. Um, I'd like to just have you pray this prayer. If that's you, would you just say this to the Lord? And it's not just a magical prayer. It's coming from your heart. You gotta believe it. And you pray this, Lord, I repent of my sins and I confess that I'm a sinner that needs to be forgiven. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Help me to walk with you in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you pray that prayer to the Lord from your heart, with a repentant heart, the Lord says, you will be saved. Read Romans 10, verse nine and 10. It's as clear as can be. And so that's a glorious thing. Let's pray that in. Lord, I pray your blessing upon anyone out there watching, joining us in this service. I pray that that gospel message would penetrate the hearts of many. And I pray that it would cause there to be many repentant sinners saved by grace through faith. Help them, Lord, to walk with you. I pray that you'd help them to link up with a good Bible teaching church that can come alongside of them. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen them and help them to love you and walk with you all the rest of their days. For the rest of us, Lord, we too wanna repent daily, Lord. We know that there's so many temptations and lures that draw us in, like Paul said, We do the things we don't wanna do and we don't do the things we do wanna do. But oh, how thankful we are that you save wretched men and women like us and you love us and you forgive us. How grateful we are, how blessed we are in Jesus' name, amen.